2: Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio.
3: Well, if, if you don't use this app, your kids do. Uh, and so, as you're, well, maybe you've already dropped them off at school. But when you pick them up from school today, you're going you're to, you may be asked this uh, the federal government may be stepping into a ban on TikTok.
4: I'm trying to remember if it was me or if it was somebody else. But did I get you addicted to TikTok? Probably. I'm sorry. Like Diet Coke. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. My bad.
3: And it really happened during the pandemic. A lot of folks got on TikTok. TikTok. (laughs) Yeah, that app. Because we were bored in our own homes, in our own backyards. And it was a fun app to watch everybody doing cute little 10 or 15 second videos. Now it's become more of a resource. Some people are using it to get news content. A lot of news organizations use it to post content. And so it's grown to the point where 100 million Americans are now using TikTok. But our very own Senator Mitt Romney is now on board with a plan to potentially ban it. We're going to explain
4: why. Don't you love how everybody is on Team Trump on this? Like, that was what President Trump wanted to do long ago. Now everybody is like, "Mm, maybe he was right all along. It's 9 7 It's time for the launch.
5: Sequence engaged.
4: And here are three things, not all TikTok related, (laughs) but three things that Debbie wants you to know.
5: Countdown three. I want
3: to talk about killing cougars. Utah lawmaker passing legislation that lets uh, anyone with a hunting license kill a cougar. I don't. I think this means you don't no longer need a special permit. I, I'm going to go change my batteries in the newsroom so I can get my 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 tongue and lips working correctly this morning. Um, but while I do that, Dave is going to give you his opinion on this. I don't know if this means that if I see one sitting on my front patio or it's on my running route, bam, I can just. Pull out the gun I don't own, and bam! We're going to get the Utah lawmaker who's in favor of this, the wildlife group that's opposed to it. They're calling in at
4: 10 a.m. Debbie wants a license to kill cougars. (laughs) I'll be honest. If I see a cougar anywhere ever, I will want to kill that cougar. They're the most terrifying thing we have in this state. You think? Is there anything more terrifying than the cougar? I mean, I guess maybe there's a bear Maybe we have some bears. I don't know. They're like neck and neck. and Black bears. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm worried about the amount of cougars. I had no idea how many cougars are roaming around the Utah foothills. Really? You're not going to believe okay. how many cougars are in this
5: state. Countdown to...
3: We've been watching massive protests in France unfold over the last couple of days, so we decided to dive into it at 935 because... I think this is a this is a great conversation. The, this these protests are so big. In fact, they're canceling flights to Paris because of it because workers are pouring into the streets over a government push to up the retirement age. Okay, Dave. I read one worker's account. She says, "I began working at the age of 17, and then her retirement age was 60, and then it got bumped to 62, and now she says it's 64." And the government keeps moving the target on her, and she's angry.
4: How lazy are the French? You can retire at 62 years old. Like, that's when you can start collecting your your social... Your pension. kind of like us. Yeah, 62, 64. What's the right number? There's a massive math problem in France when it comes to paying out these benefits... Just like the United States, we have a massive math problem. We're running out. And this isn't just coming from Dave Noriega. It's on the Social Security website. <laughs> it says we're out of money in the next decade. Then, then what do we do? Well, we don't talk about it. But we're going to today. Launch countdown one. Our top story, Utah
3: Senator Mitt Romney. Uh, joining other senators on a, on a new proposal that could ban or restrict, but ban, TikTok in the United States. Now this is the social media app.
4: You're just going to take this away? Okay, that's fine. It will be replaced in 0.2 seconds. So we've got to figure out how to use it appropriately.
5: Dave and Dujanovic.
4: The launch.
5: Commence.
2: Dave and Dujanovic.
4: Special coverage
2: of the top national story.
3: But what this would mean is if it is replaced, it wouldn't be replaced with a Chinese-owned app. And that is what is at issue. As several senators got together and have decided to push legislation that could allow the federal government to ban apps like TikTok, um... You know, in several states like Utah, we've the state of Utah has already restricted use of TikTok on state-owned phones and laptops or, you know, devices. But should the federal government restrict it on your child's device, too, or on your device, David?
4: How often does prohibition work? Whether it's alcohol, whether it's computers, information, the Internet, this happens in authoritarian dictatorships. Right, where they just, they ban social media. This happens. And then what happens? People still get to it. They still use it. So we'd find TikTok on the black market? Yeah, or, or we'll just break the law. Like, so who's going to be knocking down my door?
3: Let me see if I can get Senator Mitt Romney to convince you. Uh, he spoke yesterday at a news conference. And in fact, he's joining Boyd Matheson's show this afternoon at one they They're going to discuss this very issue. But listen to what he said.
6: There are a lot of us that are concerned about uh, privacy. And we say, gosh, we don't want the government to know everything we're doing. We want to protect our personal privacy. Well, one thing a lot worse than having our government infringe on our privacy is having the Chinese Communist Party infringe on our privacy and be able to track us and follow us. And whether it's with social media or other technologies, communication technologies or the hardware that they devise over the coming years, we have to make sure that we have the resources in place and the authorities in place to stop those things before they endanger us.
4: We have been hit with massive cybersecurity issues across this country, right? People lock up your computer. You'll have to pay a ransom. This kind of stuff happens all the time. Is, is this a possibility because I use the TikTok app, TikTok app? Of course. But just because I use a computer, I'm at risk. Right, this happens all over, all the time.
3: So it doesn't sound like you're convinced or swayed yet by Senator Mitt Romney's statements about his concerns over TikTok. What about what FBI, the FBI director, told Congress several months ago? And let me let me get into this right now. This is a Chinese-owned company, right? That runs TikTok, and the concern from the FBI is that that company could be. Con- under Chinese law to turn over our personal data that is collected to the Chinese government, which could be used to control software on millions and millions of devices that we walk around with and compromise those devices that have the app on them. Worst case scenario in my mind, Dave, a nationwide shutdown of our phones, courtesy China, because they have access to our phones. The Chinese government or the Chinese cover, the the Communist Party.
4: What kind of phone do you have? iPhone. iPhone. I have an iPhone. Do you know where your iPhone was put together? China. That's China. a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we're we're mm-hmm. just convinced that China and the Chinese Communist Party is out to get us, wouldn't it just be easy to hack the phone that they're putting together in have that something country? On there already. Yeah, there's something on there already. Or does it only come through software that we download? Mm. If we're going to full-on panic, yeah. how about we panic about how they're putting the hardware together? Mm. We're selectively choosing what we're panicking about when it comes to the Chinese Communist Party.
3: As again, Senator Mitt Romney joining Boyd Matheson at one thirty this afternoon. Uh, I just spoke to Boyd about it, and he said, yep, they're going to talk about this issue.
6: The Chinese Communist Party is not our dear friend.
3: That's from Senator Mitt Romney. There's more on that to come at one thirty when he calls Boyd's show from Washington, D.C. But we want to know from parents. Are you like Dave? Do you not want the government to restrict or cancel apps that you, maybe your kids love?
2: Dave and Dujanovic, special coverage of the top national story. Taking
3: your live phone calls at eight hundred one five seven five talk Do you feel like the, between the Congress and also... Utah's Capitol Hill, there's a slippery slope going on here with bans and restrictions of use of social media. Um, The latest in the way of uh, TikTok, several senators getting together to say, uh, including our very own Mitt Romney, Senator Mitt Romney, saying that it's time to allow the federal government to implement restrictions on TikTok. And this could even mean a ban of the very, very wildly popular
4: app. How much of this feels to you, listeners, like the flavor of the month, the demon of the week? Who are we going to fight today? Let's go after TikTok and the Chinese Communist Party. I'm going to use all the keywords, all the triggering keywords that's going to rile you up. We all use TikTok, right? How many times have you been burned by TikTok? Have you ever had a bad experience other than staying up too late watching hilarious videos? I wonder how much of this is guilty until proven innocent.
3: Senator Romney speaks to concerns about that, you know, this is a Chinese-owned company, and it could be compelled under the rule of law there to turn over our personal data um, the FBI director has stated several months ago that this could be a concern, that they could access, you know, software and cripple the phones and get our data and share it with the Chinese government. Um, taking your live phone calls, eight hundred one five seven five talk Are you sick and tired of the government doing your job, parents? Is it, is it your job to cancel social media apps on your phone or your kid's phone? Um, or is it the government's job? We got phone
4: calls. Yeah, let's jump out to Sherman in Bountiful. Sherman, do you have any strong feelings about TikTok?
7: Yeah, I think it ticks me off.
4: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Why?
7: Well, and I, I, I really do not believe that, and think that our country should be inviting China into our technical arena. And a point in fact, uh, ThinkPad, IBM sold ThinkPad. To the Chinese, the Chinese rebranded it as Le- Lenovo and came back and sold, is selling Lenovo here in the United States. And you know, my gut feeling says, hey, there's there's firmware in there that they could access any they wanted. So I just I just think that we uh, ought to stay away from the Chinese,
4: and they ought to stay away from us. Sherman, thank you for the phone call. Uh, you you mentioned firmware well where do you where do you think this phone's built the iphone the iphone Mm -hmm. i mean these are manufactured largely put together in china
3: and we stand in long lines to get the newest
4: version oh debbie we're like beating each other up trying to get the latest oh wait an iphone 26 s max with 19 cameras sign me up oh it's only thirty two thousand dollars
3: Perfect. But on the flip side, we're trying to ban the apps yeah. that are run by a Chinese company. You're, like
4: the, you're starting to really make sense here, Dave. I, I, I try not to do that too often, <laughs> but I, I, I really latched on to something here. <laughs> Who did. It, it, it's shocking to me <laughs> that we're so worried about software when the hardware is built in China. So, right? why, why do we trust them to build the phone, but heaven forbid we let somebody, you know, Give us an app for that phone.
3: I read where Senator Joe Manchin polled his uh, college-age granddaughters about their personal opinion on banning TikTok in the United States. And they said something along the lines of, watch what you ban, Grandpa. And I felt that that speaks to a disconnect between perhaps an older generation and our kids who don't feel the same way we do. Or don't see these issues that perhaps even like Senator Romney sees regarding
6: TikTok. There are a lot of us that are concerned about uh, privacy. And we say, gosh, we don't want the government to know everything we're doing. We want to protect our personal privacy. Well, one thing a lot worse than having our government infringe on our privacy is having the Chinese Communist Party infringe on our privacy.
3: I don't hear those concerns coming from my 20-something-year-old kids. I don't feel like the younger generation feels that way. And maybe that's why Manchin's granddaughter said, watch what you ban, Grandpa, because they don't care about this the way we're so passionate about it.
4: If you start thinking about your phone or your computer and the kind of information that we freely give to websites and uh, keystrokes and logging on and uh, location services... I mean, how easily do we track each other? How easily do we track our kids? I can pull up my phone right now. Every one of my kids knows, even my adult kids, knows that I'm tracking them. I know where they're at. They don't care. And My other question
3: is, who is to say that a, a, a U.S.-owned app wouldn't collect data and then sell it to a foreign government, even though they could be prosecuted for that? Who's to say that isn't happening or can't happen?
4: Well, you sell it to one person. They sell it to another. We sell information, and that is like business as usual. That happens all the time. Every website you go to, you think it's a coincidence that every time uh, you you Google something and then the very next website you, you visit, an ad for that very thing you Googled starts popping <laughs> up. This is not... Shocking, shocking to us.
3: Ike from Salt Lake City, uh, do you agree with uh, government bans or restrictions on Ike left us? Sorry, Ike. Call back, please, if you can, if you can in the next 60 seconds. We do want to get your call in the air. The Utah State Legislature also restricted access to social media this session uh, for kids um, under the age of 18. They have to get their parents' consent in order to be able to use a social media app this hasn't been implemented yet it still has to go through the you know the governor probably has the governor seen i think he's going to sign it but um but they did that for mental health reasons and it just got me thinking is this just a slippery slope with government bans on free speech my kids to use what we want to
8: use
4: yeah my kids already require my permission to download social media That, that already is a thing in our household um too often we look to the government to do things that we should be doing as parents.
3: TikTok has been around for seven years. I had to go back and see it because I was a late bloomer on TikTok. It was during the pandemic that I downloaded it, probably by per your advice to like.
4: I kept sending you like hilarious videos.
3: Get a life, Deb. Watch TikTok. So it's been around seven years. Facebook really took off and overtook MySpace in about 2008. Do we remember MySpace? That was the like the original version. No, of vag- yeah, but it overtook in 2008. So this circles me back to your point earlier. Is this the flavor of the month? If we were so worried about mental health for kids, so worried about foreign governments having access to Americans' personal data, where were... You, elected officials, I'm speaking to you, 15 years ago. Where were you seven years ago? Or is this just an aha moment and you finally figured it out? Because if TikTok's been around for seven years and I've been using it for three or four years, three years, isn't my stuff already (laughs) compromised?
4: Yeah, absolutely. It's 100% stolen, used, sold. It's out there. It's not just
2: living
3: in France. uh, The government looking to change the retirement age, and there are millions protesting that idea right now.
4: Massive protests in the streets. Just like the United States, France has a big math problem. Too many people are retiring. Too many people are collecting social security in. You know, in France, they call it the government pension. So France and in the, in the United States, we're running out of money to fund these programs. They need to make major changes, and the French are having heart attacks over well, this. Well, they're having none of it. I read one
3: report that a million people had poured into the streets, that there has been strikes, that flights are getting canceled into uh, Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris, that garbage collectors are on strike, Um, utility workers are on strike, train drivers are walking off the job. So it is just crippling that country. Now, you had a conversation just before the show with the ABC News reporter who was was there.
4: Yeah. Inez de la Catera is in Paris right now. And I I asked her to, to help set the scene. What are you seeing?
3: Hey,
9: that's right. Yes. So we're seeing, I mean, massive protests around the country, not just here in Paris really around France, uh, there were over 260 protests uh, held yesterday. Uh, over a million people participated. The way these protests work, um, they're they're rolling strikes. So it's, it's people who go on strike. And as they're on strike, they also participate in these protests. At the end of every day, they decide, the unions uh, vote on whether to extend the strike uh, another day. And um, yesterday, they did decide to extend it into Wednesday, so today. Um, and the concern is that these strikes could go on for a while. So uh, you know, they, they've really brought the country to a standstill. Uh, trains that were stopped, uh, subways, you know, public transportation flights are delayed, um, schools are closed, and even uh, the, the energy supply has been affected. They've blocked fuel from reaching French refineries. So, you know, I think that the country can, can um, withstand that for a couple of days, but the fear is that if this continues on for several days and weeks, uh, that it could really be a problem for the French economy.
4: What's the proposal?
9: So the French uh, President Emmanuel Macron is looking to reform pensions, and specifically he's looking to up the retirement age from 62 to 64. Um, and that is really, you know, workers are outraged, unions are outraged. The unions here are very powerful; they're very organized. Uh, so they are, you know, determined to take to the streets for as long as it takes to get the government to budge here. Um, but on the flip side, the French government has shown no indication that it is going to backtrack on on this plan to raise the retirement age. They're arguing that. Uh, there's just not enough money to, to pay for for people's pensions um, that, that uh you know people are, are living longer um, the the birth rate is down and um, they actually released the government released um, an official forecast showing that uh, you know should the the pension system not be reformed uh, that the the uh, the whole system would go into deficit in the long term that it's going to be okay in the short term but in the long term it will be a
5: problem
4: when you talk about pensions is this essentially our social security system
9: pretty much yeah yeah it's pretty much the 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 equivalent the french
4: equivalent so is that typical is 62 the age where uh, the typical french retires and they start collecting these pensions
9: yeah and so you know i think one of the arguments that's being made by the government they're pointing to other countries neighboring countries like spain and germany where the retirement age is you know, between 65 and 67. And the French government is pointing to that and saying we're at 62. That's, you know, still a few years off and we should get in line with those uh, countries. I should point out also, it's not like they're going to be changing it drastically from one day to the next. This increase from 62 to 64 would be over several years. So they're going to gradually increase uh, the age. um, You know, if you were to talk to unions and workers, that's their concern that this um, could just be the, the beginning of the end, kind of, and that if they raise it once, they could raise it um, further down the road to, like you say, 65, 67. So um, that's, I think that's part of the reason why you're seeing so much uh, resistance and, and so, many, so many people taking to the streets.
4: What happens if these unions continue and start stretching this strike out into not just mere days but weeks and, and longer?
9: Yeah, which they very well could, right, because this is a rolling strike. So they have, uh, you know, again, they they vote on these uh, strikes at the end of every day. They decide whether to extend the strike. Last night they decided to extend it into today. We'll see if later today they decide to extend it into tomorrow. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a real concern that this could go on for a while. I mean, that's their goal is to put as, as much pressure as possible on the government. And if this goes on for weeks and, and, and months, I mean, if you think about it, just the fact that they were blocking fuel from getting to French refineries, if that goes on for several days, that's really going to have an impact on everyday citizens and on the economy. And, um, you know, that could be really problematic. In their view, it'll be a win in that it'll put all the more pressure on the French government to, to at least... Come to the negotiating table and engage in
10: conversations with them.
4: From what you've been able to observe and see, what is the temperature of these protests? Have they become violent, or is there uh, escalated emotions? What is what's going on?
9: Yeah, that's a great point. In France, protests do have a tendency of turning kind of violent. We remember the Yellow Vest protests; those were certainly you know pretty much, uh, I mean, quite violent. Uh, Pretty much every time they took to the streets, it, it turned into clashes with police officers. In this case, they haven't been so uh, so so bad, so violent. Um, yesterday was mostly peaceful, some maybe small clashes with police officers, but um, nothing nothing major. So we'll see if that changes, um, if things escalate. Uh, there's certainly a lot of passion in the streets, you know, people chanting and yelling and, and making a lot of noise. Um, but so far, they've been mostly peaceful. Uh, we'll see if it stays that way.
4: It is. De La Quintera, thank you for joining us from Paris. Thank you. Dave, you
3: spoke to her just before the show and recorded that. uh, So we got an idea of that she's from ABC News, of course, um, about what's going on in Paris as workers strike and then they pour into the streets and protest upping the retirement age for the government pension, which is kind of like saying our Social Security from 62 to 64.
4: Yeah, 64 years old. Now, if you're asking yourself, what's, what's the life expectancy for the average French person? It's about 82 years old. Mm. Women live to 85. Guys live till they're 80. You know, averages out to about 82. To give you an idea, that that is 30 years of retirement. 30 years of collecting mm. a pension on average. So that's why they're running out of money.
3: Surprise, surprise. <laughs> like Social Security. You said something off the top of the show that st- piqued my interest uh, when we were in the throes of the launch. Something to do with... Um, it's not just you saying that, you know, France has a, a math problem and America has a math problem with our own social security system. It's the Social Security Administration yeah. admitting it has a math
4: problem. Yeah, it's the website. Let me read it to you. Benefits are now expected to be payable until 2037. So okay. 14 years from now, that's when the trust fund will be exhausted. They are very clear there are 50 million americans collecting social security right now 150 million of us are paying into the system mm-hmm. to support those 50 million americans once those funds are gone then you no longer have a chunk of money that you can draw from then it is 100 percent paid for by taxes and if it's only covered by taxes and not part of that slush fund that's being used to subsidize, it only covers about three-quarters of the promised benefits. So, Debbie, if you if you retire in 14 years, which is probably within the ballpark of when, when you retire, you can expect 75% of your promised benefits in Social Security unless there are changes.
11: Hmm.
3: I wonder what the right age to retire is. I go back to those protests in France that we initially started talking about off the top of this discussion. And you look at, like I read this account from a worker. She said, I started working at 17. <laughs> a, a lot of us started working at 17. And then at that time, she thought retirement would be 60. And then they bumped it to 62. And then they bumped it to 64. Because their pension program, I mean, assuming that if they delay these retirements and the pension payments, that it's going to kind of shore up this pension account that seems to be ready to collapse because you delay taking benefits. So you leave more money in the pool, so to speak, kind of like Social Security. But what is the right age? I mean, I'd be angry, too, if the government kept moving the target on me turning 56 in just a few weeks, looking at collecting Social Security at some point. What if they just called me up and said, or sent me a letter, and said, oh, now it's 68 or it's 69, now it's 70, and I'm relying on some of that to get me
4: through? You've got to have a runway. You absolutely have to know that if you're going to enact this, and this is what France is doing. They're saying, this isn't going to affect you. We're going to roll this out over several years but changes need to happen over decades.
3: Okay, so what? Oh, I want to talk about your runway. Okay. can we talk about the runway in about three minutes?
4: I also want to know, Deb, how long do you think you could reasonably work? Like, what's that age? Obviously, sixty-two years old. There's no way you're quitting at sixty-two years old.
3: So, what's the best age to retire?
4: How long do you think you reasonably could put in a full day's work?
3: Eight zero one five seven five talk. Eight zero one five seven five talk. Yeah. What is the best age to retire reasonably?
2: Right on the money. Special coverage with David Dijanovic. FDR,
3: 1934. Social Security was
12: born. Because it has become increasingly difficult for individuals to build their own security single-handed, government must now step in and help them lay the foundation stones.
4: We don't believe that you can save money. So we're going to do it for you.
3: Ever since then, this has been a fiery topic for politicians. It's been a fiery topic around the dinner table in American homes. Uh, Here was the president, President Biden, in the State of the Union address.
11: Some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority.
3: Uh, But then Representative Chris Stewart told us it's just unrealistic to do nothing There is a major math problem with entitlements like Social Security and Medicare. Look at
0: the part of the government budget. Seventy percent of it is Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare. Uh, And and until we're willing to actually look at those programs and say we have to have some reforms on those, we'll never fix
4: this problem. I I don't know why we can't have a reasonable discussion on this. It, It was what made me absolutely crazy about the little jab that President Biden took in the State of the Union address, where he's like, ah, Republicans want to get rid of Social Security. And Republicans are bending over backwards saying, no, 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 absolutely not. When, let's be honest, both of you are kind of lying. Of course, Republicans want to do something with Social Security. They are looking at the math problem, where it's going to run out of money, and they're trying to do something about it. Democrats are saying pretending like everything's fine, don't worry about it, nothing to see here, and they know that's not true either. It's very clear that we're going to run out of money. There's a major math problem. So let's have a real adult conversation about what we can do to fix it.
3: So can I just ask the question of our listeners that looms over my head when we talk about what is going on in Washington, D.C., and what is going on with a social security pool of money and may if it runs out in 2037 and if it doesn't run out in twenty thirty, Here's what I I often come back to in my own brain. What is the right age to retire? I want to take phone calls on this 801-575-TALK. What is your perfect retirement age? And in the meantime, we're going to bring on certified financial planner Shane Stewart in just a moment to get his take on the right age to retire. Well,
4: I think there's a couple different questions going on here, Deb. Because I, I will tell you, what is my perfect age? It's yeah, early as possible. Like quite, quite honestly, if I could retire tomorrow, I would.
10: I'm right. Because I,
4: I love the idea <laughs> of just having my day be mine. That I can pursue every hobby that I want to and hang out with kids, all of that. I love that idea. What I want to know, though, is what? how late could you practically work? Like 62, no problem. 65, no problem. That's how long I'm planning to work, right? 67, whatever. I could probably work until I'm 75. I have no doubt. My mom's 77 right now. I have no doubt my mom could work a full-time job. She's got the energy, the smarts all of that. I have no doubt that I could. I don't want to, but I could.
3: Shane, you there? Yes. All right. So what is the best age to retire uh, from a certified financial planner's point of view?
11: Yeah, when when you're financially ready, but that's a pretty complex yeah. answer. Yeah, so okay. It really, it, <laughs> yeah, it really has to do with... Uh, um the longer you can wait to retire the better off you'll be because you're shortening the time that you'll need to use your money in retirement etc an interesting phenomenon however in the past 2 decades in the us full re- or normal retirement age was about 62 for men 59 for women that has increased in the past 2 decades the average Retirement age for men is sixty-five in the U.S. and it's sixty-two for women. Oh, okay. We think that that has has expanded a bit because of the um, things like Social Security. And in fact, in in when it was instituted in nineteen thirty-four, if you were sixty-five, you were expected to live seven years. Now, if you're sixty-five, you're expected to live at least twenty, and that's where the the mathematical problem happens with Social Security. It's It wasn't designed to last so long for other people. Interestingly, in 1981, uh, uh, if you can believe it or not, a a, uh, nonpartisan committee got together headed by Alan Greenspan, who wasn't yet the the chair of the Fed, and they came up with extending the normal retirement age or the full retirement age to 66 or 67. The three of us, it would be full retirement age of 67 for Social Security. And that could happen again. That could, it, our children could then, you know, have a full retirement age of 68 or 69. And if you look at the original intention, that would be fair, but it'd be politically a, a tough thing to put out there.
4: Shane, thank you for joining us. Shane Stewart, certified financial planner. Thank you.
3: So 62 years old uh, for women, 64 for men is what I'm hearing Shane say regarding, to the hear him right, regarding the average retirement age in the United States? Yeah seems awfully close for both of us.
4: <laughs> let's take phone calls. Uh, let's start off with Barbara in West Valley. Barbara, what do you think?
3: Yes.
12: Um, I took my Social Security when I was 62, and I had went and talked to um, to get some advice. And because I did, my youngest sister and I were able to buy a home. Um, I am now 68 years old, and I am still working. Only part-time yeah. to make sure I'm still moving and getting out of getting going. And um, I, between my social security and the money that I do make part-time, it helps with all the bills.
4: Barbara, I have a, I have a question for you. It, not that you want to, but I want to know, are you capable of working full-time? Do you have enough health, energy to, to keep working, say, 40 hours a week?
12: Um. I'm not sure. I walk with the cane because I had messed up my foot slipping on ice a few years ago. And I do get tired, but I do keep going. So I, my average in two weeks is probably about 50 hours, maybe 53 hours at okay. the moment. It
3: sounds like it strikes a good balance for you, Barbara. Thanks for your phone call and your input on that where you can keep your mind active, get up every morning or get to a job and interact and it strikes a great balance for you. That's a that's thanks for the insight on that.
4: Well, if she if she's working just under thirty hours a week, you know, 25, 27 hours a week, the leap to full time uh, in some places thirty two hours is considered full time. That wouldn't be a huge stretch. I think I think we retire because we can, not necessarily because our health dictates that. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a huge difference. you know, like back in the day, farmers didn't retire at 62 years old. They milked those cows until they were 90 till their their dying breath. And I think we've gotten a little bit soft nowadays. We're like sixty two, I can't work any longer. I'm done.
3: Right. yeah, I'm gonna
4: go buy a cow.
3: Um, all right here's here's what I learned from when I went and met with my financial folks and by the way, Shane Stewart is connected to KSL because he is our certified financial planner. We lean on him professionally and personally uh, for advice. And so I fully respect his advice. The other nugget that I got when I went and met, because I have annual meetings just because I'm old. I'm 56. Thanks to the texter who reminded me I'm an old broad. Um, here's the deal. <laughs> Literally, what was that I called me an old broad on the text line. Jeez. <laughs> Thanks, thanks, Dave. You signed it too. Appreciate keep, it. Keep it classy. Here's the good news, Dave. I am going to live to my mid 90s, according to the math that they're doing now with um, with the, with the uh, financial planner that I met with. I will likely live to my mid 90s, so I'm middle aged. And if I retire now or at 62, that is 30 or 35 years of living in retirement.
2: Eye on the Hill 2023. Special coverage with Dave and
3: Let's talk about cougar hunting. I'm curious to know from the state senator we're going to interview in just a moment if this new legislation will allow for open season. Because I'm reading that anyone with a hunting license will be able to hunt cougars year-round if the governor signs this new bill into law. Uh, Some animal activists, um, wildlife activists, Wildlife activists don't like this idea. We're also going to speak to them in a few minutes as well. So we're going to hear both sides of this issue.
4: First of all, pop culture has completely and totally ruined the term cougar for me. Every time I say cougar, I just chuckle. (laughs) So I'm going to try to have a very serious conversation here. But do you have any idea how many cougars... Roam I, around. For, it's
3: it, i I think it's probably a lot more than I thought before the invention of the ring doorbell, where people seem to catch the cats uh, you know, midstream, kind of like walking through their patios or in their backyards, maybe looking for cat food.
4: Yeah. Okay, me? so the DWR, Division of Wildlife Resources, mm-hmm. estimates that in Utah there are twenty seven hundred adult cougars. That is West High School. If you look around in those entire that that hall is just packed full of students. Imagine that is a bunch of Cougars packed thirty deep in every classroom. Mm. That's how many Cougars we have in in the halls of Utah.
3: Senator Scott Sandel, good morning.
7: Good morning. Glad to be with you.
3: Well, we're glad to have you. And I want to let our listeners know, I'm going to beg them to stay through the next 30 minutes of discussions because we're actually going to take live phone calls from our listeners to see what they think of this proposal um, and what and your pitch as well. So tell us why why you think this needs to happen where anybody who has a hunting permit, a hunting license, can now kill a cougar if they need to.
7: Yeah, so um, right now we have a harvest strategy with uh, with cougars that basically says you can buy a tag from the DWR and you can hunt a cougar during certain seasons. And they set a number of places where uh, cougar harvest is more or less, depending on what they think.
3: Uh-huh.
7: This strategy has not helped, I don't think, with when you've got a, a top-of-the-food-chain predator and you just continue to see that predator increase in numbers across the state, it's been, just like you said, on ring doorbells, we have seen way more interface between cougars and neighborhoods, pets in our livestock industry, our deer populations, an adult cougar is estimated to harvest one deer per week for uh, its lifetime. So multiply out your 2,700 adults and times that by 50, and you get the amount of pressure that we have on our deer herd. And this bill is not intended to, in any way, shape, or form, eliminate cougars. It's a different strategy to get a management around this picture that we're seeing
4: from this predator. Well, do, doing some of that quick math, uh, that's 140,000 deer or elk that are being killed and eaten uh, by cougars. So what's the right number? If it's not 2,700, what's what's an appropriate level? Because I think the argument is when it comes to apex predators and the food chain, circle of, circle of life stuff, that it all kind of regulates itself.
7: It, it does but the only way you're going to regulate that with a cougar is starvation and so once it, once the, if you get enough cougars that eventually they they're they're starving you will see them move into other areas and start to to harvest uh, pets off of porches you uh, livestock those things will just be part of what the food chain is because there's there's no other way that those cougars eventually control themselves.
3: We're talking to Senator Scott Sandel. Um, he worked on legislation, this legislative session, to allow anybody who has a hunting license to kill a cougar. Um, okay, so I need to get into the nitty-gritty on this with you, Senator. Like, for example, I do a lot of running and a lot of hiking, um, but let's talk about running on for city streets. My running route. I happen to bump into a cougar. I haven't yet. Do I worry about it? Sometimes I do, depending on where I'm running. Um, would I, if I had a hunting license, would I be able to shoot a cougar right there? I mean, I don't know if I'm like run. I'm not. I don't run with a rifle. I'll just put that out there. But what, would I be allowed to, or would this be? Would I be, be in violation of the law because it's not up in, for example, a canyon somewhere?
7: Well, the the rules will still apply for discharge of a firearm in neighborhoods. Uh, That that rule did not change. So you would be subject to whatever your local ordinance was as far as when you could discharge a firearm or harvest a cougar. Uh, Let me tell you, cougars would now be in the same category as as say a fox. um, Not quite to where we deal with coyotes, but. You're going you you're not gonna be able to shoot a cougar out the window of your vehicle, you're not gonna be able to shoot a cougar across the roadway. All of those things are, are pro prohibited in hunt regulations. So in in a way, no, you're not gonna be able just okay. to shoot that
4: cougar in your neighborhood. Senator, I have I have two questions. Number one, have you ever been cougar hunting? And I now, have. you have. Did you get I one? I have. Did you get one?
7: Uh yeah. Yeah, uh, well, years ago, we uh, we harvested a a tomcat.
4: Okay, so um, what do you say to the criticism that this is just hunters that want easier access uh, to the thrill of hunting cougars, or perhaps that by reducing the population uh, of cougars in Utah that it it improves the mule deer, for example?
7: I think there's a direct correlation between our mule deer population and our, increase, our decrease in mule deer and our increase in cougars. I don't think there's any doubt about that. We've also seen an increase in our depredation in our livestock. Um, there's a different lens here that people don't see. When you talk about harvesting a cougar and what you'll see when a cougar moves into a herd of sheep and maybe kills 15 or 20 of them in a the night... Um, and only only each one of them. Uh, there's, there's a lot more here that plays out. I've had people that say, oh, you're going to orphan cougar cubs. And I'm like, well, my lens looks at it and say, I've just orphaned a whole bunch of, of lambs uh, or, or mm. fawns. Those, those things all play out as well. And I think it's trying to find a balance. And the current management strategy just is not is not harvesting uh, an appropriate amount of cougars to to help balance this.
4: Sorry, I don't know if I pinned you down on on the number. Do we do we have a number of cougars? How how many should we have in Utah? What's the healthiest number?
7: Well, if if you look at what an adult cougar will range, uh, say in a 10-mile square range, they will push any other cougar out of that range given the chance. And so you're going to spread those Cougars as as they mature, you're going to condense them. You're going to put them into ranges where you typically have not ever seen them. And so at uh, 2,700, I don't know if half is that is that correct amount, but I would I would certainly say that it's less than 2,700 by
3: by a, quite a ways. Hmm.
4: Well, we appreciate you joining us, Senator Scott Sandel.
3: All right, straight ahead, we're going to get the flip side of the debate. Uh, the Western Wildlife Conservancy is calling on the governor to veto this legislation. They're going to give us their pitch for why they want the governor to say no to cougar hunting.
2: Eye on the Hill 2023. Special coverage with Dave and Dijanabek.
3: Continuing our conversation about a new proposal coming out of this year's legislative session that will make it possible to hunt cougars year round and you don't need a special tag for it. It, you just need your, your hunting license. A wildlife group wants the governor to veto it, Dave, and we're going to get that group on the line in just a matter of seconds.
4: And just to be clear, this is not going to turn into the wild, wild west. Every time you see a cougar, you can just pull out your gun. You know, same hunting hunter safety guidelines are, are in play, but it does. It opens up. Instead of narrowing down cougar hunting to uh, a few months, then you can do it year-round. And then and I think... Uh, you're looking at 2,700 cougars right now in Utah and apex predator. That's the only way you're going to reduce the population, right? It's through hunting.
3: Top of the food chain. Senator Scott Sandel telling us just moments ago why we need this legislation.
7: Just like you said on ring doorbells, we have seen way more interface between cougars and neighborhoods, pets. In our livestock industry, our deer populations, an adult cougar is estimated to harvest one deer per
11: week.
4: Joining us right now is Kirk Robinson with the Western Wildlife Conservancy, uh, calling on Governor Cox to veto the bill over this year-round cougar hunting provision. Uh, Kirk, thanks for joining us.
13: Thank you. Good morning.
4: Okay, walk us through this. Why, Why is your group against this?
13: Well, um, for three reasons: one, it was it was done deceptively, okay. deliberately, um, orchestrated to deceive the public and to exclude public input. Two, the science there is no science behind it. I heard some of the claims just made. Um, I disagree with those. I read the science studies all the time. Um, and third it's cruel there's no need for it um, and it it means orphaning kittens which die of starvation or predation and if uh, neck snares are allowed in trapping it's a slow cruel death for a lion that's caught in them because the um, snares tighten up and they strangle to death um, so that's That's the sum of it right
4: there. Joining us right now is Kirk Robinson with Western Wildlife Conservancy. Uh, Let me, let me take through some of that. Um, when you're talking about the, the cruelty of hunting, is there any kind of hunting that you support or is this, um, does this kind of include all hunting?
13: No, my organization has never been anti-hunting ever, um, We are opposed to certain kinds of hunting and certain hunting um, programs for for different reasons, depending on the case. Um, There is no real need to hunt cougars. That's one of the false premises underlying comments that were previously made by people on your show. There is no need to do it in a general hunt occasionally there is a, becomes a problem, and then the solution is to remove that cougar. But um, there's quite a lot of science in the last 15 or 20 years to show that by heavily hunting the cougar population, you actually tend to increase the number of conflicts with humans, including more cougars in urban areas, more conflicts with humans, more predation on livestock, etc. Evidently, the people that support this don't read the literature or don't care. But that's a provable fact.
3: Kurt Robinson is with the Western Wildlife Conservancy calling on Governor Cox to veto legislation over year-round cougar hunting uh, where hunters wouldn't need um, a special permit To hunt the cougar the lawmaker behind this proposal just called the show moments ago and and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to respond to the statement that he he made regarding um, interactions and interface with cougars and humans
7: just like you said on ring doorbells we have seen way more interface between cougars and neighborhoods pets in our livestock industry our deer populations An adult cougar is estimated to harvest one deer per week for uh, its lifetime. So multiply out your 2,700 adults and times that by 50, and you get the amount of pressure that we have on our deer herd. And this bill is not intended to, in any way, shape or form, eliminate cougars.
3: It doesn't want to eliminate cougars, but also is concerned that the cougars are eliminating, for example, you know, but he said, but fawns uh, because their mothers are being killed or uh orphaning other livestock uh because uh they're they're getting into these herds and and slaughtering he said maybe fifteen or twenty a night in some cases or you know harvesting them so what what's the balance and and what is your response to the senator saying and uh, what he said in support of his legislation Kurt.
13: Well, I just gave part of the response. The science uh, tells us that you're more likely to have cougars showing up on doorstops if you engage in heavy uh, killing of the population. There are reasons for that that are pretty clear and understandable if you know the science. Unfortunately, uh, Senator Sandal doesn't know the science.
4: Well, explain. Uh, It doesn't make. Why why would they come down? If you thin out the herd, why would they come down here?
13: okay uh, the reason is that in an unhunted population of cougars, the number one cause of mortality to cougars is other cougars and what typically happens is after uh, maybe eighteen months to two years, a mother will take out its uh, you know its offspring make them leave her home range, and the males in particular then wander and home range of their own. This typically means they have to fight with a dominant male. And more often than not, they're killed. And um, also, the males will sometimes kill the kittens of females they have not bred with, so that she will go into estrus again, and he can breed with her. And so the, the population is self-regulating. But when you remove those, quote, trophy toms, which the trophy hunters want to kill. That whole system is broken down and you suddenly have a lot more juveniles, um, both male and female, and not enough home ranges to accommodate them all. And they haven't learned to hunt successfully or where to find food. So they're wandering all over the place and some of them naturally leave uh, where they have been living and For example, a cougar might look across the valley from the Wasatch to the Ochres and head out in that direction. That's natural. They don't know what they're getting into. Uh, And then they might end up very hungry and kill a pet. Um, It's worth noting in this connection that there are no uh, well-documented cases of cougar attacks on people in Utah. So uh, we don't really have a a demonstrable problem on that score. Um, sandals just making all that up or he's repeating what somebody told him and that's a real shame and i have to say one more thing here that um about deer um the number of uh, deer killed by cougars is exaggerated once again it's more like maybe 35 or 40 for a male um uh it depends on the on the mm. case on what kind of a food is available because cougars don't only eat deer A female with young kittens kills more deer, more prey than any other.
3: A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon.
2: But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one.
3: I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence.
9: The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The
10: Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Cougar, because she's got more mouths to feed. Yeah, and and I think, sorry, we're out of time here, but you're still looking at well over 100,000 with the current population. Um, You know, again, circle of life, I, I don't know if I super care, you know, how many they kill. You know, we want to make sure that it's a balance. I understand, and hmm. I think it's an interesting conversation to have. We appreciate the senator for joining us last segment. We appreciate Kirk Robinson with the Western Wildlife Conservancy joining us hmm. as well. It's got me thinking about a lot of stuff. Yeah. I don't know much about cougars, yeah. but this is this well, is interesting.
3: Let's let's uh, let's take phone calls eight zero one five seven five talk. Hopefully, you stuck around. You've got both sides of this issue. Maybe you're hunter and you think this is the best thing in the world, maybe you just love cats, and you think this is the worst thing in the world, weigh in. 801-575-TALK.
2: Eye on the Hill 2023. Special coverage with Dave and DeJenevich.
3: I was in the control room just moments ago, and the phone lines are absolutely ringing off the hook. Do not go anywhere to all of our callers. We're going to get to as many as we can. Lots of people wanting to weigh in on this new legislation. Uh, that a wildlife conservative group, conservancy group has asked the governor to veto. It has to do with hunting cougars year round, as long as you have a hunting
4: license. Yeah, we want to hear from you. 801-575-TALK. Let's just jump right out to the phone lines. Douglas and Murray, what do you know about cougars?
1: Well, thanks for uh, the opportunity to talk about this. You bet. I've, I've hunted in Utah for over 50 years and I've watched the decline in the deer populations, and I've watched the increase in signs in cougar populations, but I've only seen one cougar alive in all that time. The thing is, cougars are very secretive, so you don't see them. You can see the signs, you can see the scat, you can see the tracks. And i got to commend the wildlife biologists because these guys are out there actually looking at the populations, actually physically in the field, observing what the populations are doing, both with the cougars and the deer. And what's not being mentioned is the other game mammals, especially the bighorn sheep that have succumbed to a lot of cougar killings. And the other thing, the cougars, they actually kill for sport. Uh, you heard the state representative talk about cougars that will go out through a sheep herd, and in the period of a the night they will kill 12, 15, 16 sheep, lambs, whatever, indiscriminately, and they might Eat just one, Doug.
3: Doug so can I, I just,
1: think this can... bill is actually good.
3: Okay, I was going to ask you: Are you supporting? Do you want Governor Cox to sign it?
1: I yes, I believe he should sign this for the health of the entire wildlife population, and not be focused on just one animal or the other. Because it is they are opportunistic killers, and they do kill for fun. But without any kind of control, the only predator they have is starvation or man.
3: Let's keep going down the phone call list. Don from Layton. Good morning. Do you want Governor Cox to sign the legislation or veto it?
7: I got to go with a veto on this one, and that's not because I'm an animal lover. Hey, why don't? We, if we're going to have to control the population, why can't DWR do it? Instead of giving it to a bunch of overzealous testosterone-driven males who just want a trophy case.
3: Thanks for your call, uh, Don. Um, let's keep going down this line. Andrew from it looks like Eagle Mountain. Are you living in Eagle Mountain, Andrew? Yeah. I got I got Eagle here on the on the <laughs> on my notes.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm out in Eagle Mountain.
3: You see cougars out the there? Is,
1: no, not hardly. Well, up West Pole Canyon, yeah, they they do have them. But I'm uh I've I've been hunting lions, bears for most of my adult life, and I think the bill is just absolutely asinine. I think that the uh, I think the DNR uses this as a you know as, as a method of control, but ultimately it's it, it's been the drought that's had the most uh, substantial effect mm. on the deer populations. It's not the lions. And that senator, he's he's just a bonehead. He don't have no proof. It's all baseless, in my opinion. Well, They've that- hammered those cats.
3: Thank, thanks for the phone call. Um, I'm just going to flag that comment. I actually thought uh, he brought some great information to the conversation, things that I didn't know about. Um, and But I do also appreciate uh, the wildlife uh, folks that we had on the air as well and their perspective. I, I'm torn on this. I'm also not a hunter. Uh, I also don't want to be hunted <laughs> by a cougar. But I, have ne- I don't think I've ever encountered one either, uh, much to what, like, speaks to what Douglas was talking about when he called the show just moments ago. They, If they've seen me, I haven't seen them. Dave, we've got lots more phone calls.
4: Devin in South Jordan. Devin, what do you think about the yes, big cats? Uh, I uh, agree with the
12: legislation. I think the the governor should sign it. I have family property up in uh, Cache Valley where we uh, lease out the property for grazing. And three years ago, we started cougars up there. and They took a cow. Uh, they don't just eat the whole animal and part it out they dig in and eat some of the uh, in some of the um, innards of the cow of the cow and then leave the rest to rot uh, last that was 3 years ago last year there was 5 cougars up there and so and there's deer and elk and, and other things up there but i think the uh, guy opposing the legislation is accurate in saying that you should follow the science my situation where cougars are, seem to be coming on the rise is only anecdotal And the people who have the science are the the Department of Natural Resources. They check the deer population. I mean, normally up there we have a foot of snow. Up there now there's over four feet of snow and the deer are starving. One of the other joints and property owners called me and said the DNR called them and they want to go up there and feed them some pellets to keep them from starving to death. So the DNR knows what's going on. I called them up to ask about control of the deer population. They knew exactly what was going on on my exact property. They watch it. If they're in support of it, the governor should sign it.
4: Yeah, and I think the question is how much, you know, what's the right number? And and we're having a hard time coming up with that number. Um, There's not an easy number that that we've come to because. For population. For population. What's the, is it 2,700? Is that the right number? Mm -hmm. Is it 4,500? You know, what can Utah handle? Um, And that's a tough number to come up with. I want to take
3: one more phone call, Dave. We've got one more caller on the line. Larry, come into the conversation with us, but just let me uh, let our listeners know who are just jumping in the car, maybe heading out for a morning break (laughs) from work. Uh, We are talking about, obviously, what has now come to my attention is quite controversial piece of legislation that passed um, the Utah House and the Senate and it awaits the governor's signature. There is a wildlife uh, group that is calling for him to veto it, and it has to do with this. Uh, Open season on cougar hunting. You will no longer need a permit to hunt cougars. If you have a hunting license that qualifies you to shoot a cougar, the lawmaker who joined the show said that's to control the population. Dave, you pointed out that population number right now stands at?
4: 2,700. Yeah, according to the Division of Wildlife Resources. Larry, final call. Larry, what do you think?
1: Well, since there's so much snow, they're starving to death anyway, and the cougars can take care of a lot of that. But uh, I've got a nephew that's a trophy hunter, and he killed cougars, and you don't eat them. It's just just that he's a trophy hunter. Yeah. And he he has all these damn trophies, you know. I don't believe in killing animals for nothing. And uh, the cougars... You know, they've got lives to live, they've got kids or babies to raise, they'll starve to death. Uh, the sheep herders have Great Pyrenees dogs that two of them can kill a cougar, or one, def- one of them will definitely drive it off. But they have those big white Spanish, they're from Spain, Great Pyrenees. They're about 200 pounds each apiece. And uh, it's just wrong, you know. I mean, if they're feeding them, the VNRs feeding them, uh, that means there's too many deer. So anyway.
4: Well, thank you, thank you for the phone call, and we appreciate. It. This is not something that I'm really. I have a strong feeling one way or the other, Debbie. I'm not. A, I'm not a big hunter. I don't understand mm-hmm. the population, but um, it, it's a. There's no question. If you're hunting a cat, it's not to feed your family. It is. It is trophy hunting, but they are also apex predators. It's not like they're being hunted on. They, they fight for territory themselves. What's the right number? I have to turn it over to, you know, the experts in the state.
3: We'll watch that legislation. We'll see what happens to it and report back because clearly a lot of people care about this. Thank you so much for lighting up our phone lines. It's amazing to talk to all of our listeners about this uh hot button issue. Straight ahead, we just had two Americans who were kidnapped, uh, killed, Other two survived. Uh, They were driving down into Mexico for, I've heard, anywhere from a bummy lift uh, to a tummy tuck. At any rate, it turned horrific for them immediately after they crossed the border. So we're going to explore this question. Is it safe to travel to Mexico? Spring break? Summer vacations? We're going to take a look, a deep dive into that, and also offer some important safety tips. Here's one I'll give you. Like, do you know when you can or shouldn't use the ATM? Dave and Dujanovic, special
2: coverage of the top national story.
3: Ever since we reported yesterday morning about these two tourists who were killed and the other two survived, and one was injured, that kidnapping, that horrific kidnapping, almost like the moment they crossed the border, from Texas into Mexico, I thought, wow, we've got a lot of people who want to travel for spring break to Mexico. Maybe you're planning a summer vacation. How do you know if it's safe to travel? I think you better know before you go.
4: you got to do your research. Uh, we talked to uh, one of our producers, Gustavo Rodriguez, whose uh, family is from Mexico. He travels there often. And there are obviously there's very safe places in Mexico. There's vacation spots that are very popular, extremely safe, you know, as safe as it would be to travel over to Europe. But there are cities, there are states that are extremely dangerous, as dangerous as traveling to Afghanistan.
3: Yep, that's a level four. Gustavo is going to rejoin us in just a moment with uh, some safety tips, things you should know before you go. Uh, He goes down there at least once a year, right, Gustavo? Yeah, once a year with his family, and they usually drive right? You drive. He's gone for like two weeks at a time. So he knows the ropes. I want to just reflect a moment on those four Americans who went across the border. It was for a cosmetic procedure. We're now learning and I've heard anywhere reported like a bummy lift to a a tummy tuck. Americans go across the border for medical purposes, for medications, Gustavo said he went down there and had his braces put on when he was in junior high school. And it's not unusual. When I lived on the border in Yuma, I would go across the border to Mexicali, which is now under a travel advisory. Um, And I loved, I spent a lot of time in Mexicali, not only eating the amazing food, and they had some wonderful places to visit, and they had a great nightclub there that my friends and I would go to, but also for medications because I was a broke, young reporter. So it's not unusual Uh, But the family of these Americans, some of the family members were begging them not to go because of the fears of where things are at right now. So I'm just checking
10: on you. That's what I told them Thursday. And then, like I said, Friday morning, I texted and I didn't get anything.
3: And we now know that cartel members were involved in the kidnapping and that they moved these victims multiple times to evade authorities. And then I, I read that there was one like guarding a, a small home or something like that. And when authorities moved in and then they were able to free at least um, two of them, but and the other two were killed. And I don't know at what point they were killed. Yeah, The point is, how do you know where it's safe to go in Mexico, right? Yeah, it,
4: it's a great question because uh, so often when you look at cruises or resorts that are offering these deals to fly into Mexico, what's safe? What's the the safest way to be able to travel to some of these beautiful places without putting your family or yourself in risk?
3: Five states in Mexico under a Do Not Travel advisory. It's all posted on the State Department's website. All I did was Google Mexico travel advisories, and this came up. Or reconsider travel to, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven states. And then there's a whole other list of exercise increased caution when traveling to these other areas. Um, Some safety tips uh, that we uh, researched, do not draw attention to your money or business affairs. If you're going to use an ATM, only do that in public spaces if you're going to Mexico or during
4: daylight hours. So you got to know these things. Well, the daylight hours thing is, I guess, that's good. Yeah, Except for the fact that when these these individuals were kidnapped it was broad daylight right we we have the video we were watching it unfold not only was it broad daylight there were cameras all over the place we saw it unfolding and part of the chilling part of that video and, and the story was this was not rushed this was at gunpoint take these Americans, load them into the back of a pickup. It wasn't like rushed, running around. They, they did it systematically. And the fact they were not rushing, that they felt confident enough or safe enough that they could just go about and do their business really tells me that there's a level of corruption. They feel secure and safe to a level that they can just do this in broad daylight.
3: It also says stop at all roadblocks or you risk being killed. I remember many years ago, Gustavo, when I traveled to, I think it was the heart of Mexico. Have you ever heard of Zapatillo? I was traveling by car with some colleagues. We were going there to report on a story. And we saw um, federales with guns on the side of the road. We kept driving at the time, but this was a long time ago. Things felt safer then. Um, People go to Cabo. People go to Cancun, they go to Acapulco, Puerto Rico. Do our listeners have any concerns um, or things that they should be aware of as they're making those travel plans? What's your take, Gustavo?
10: Uh, So typically the big touristy places are the safest place where you can go and travel. Um, Also avoiding those states that are on the list. Just avoid them. Um, Small, tiny towns avoid those two because that's where they usually live because that's where they are taking over the farmers that you know so zapatillo was yeah
3: a, a, a town without even a phone I mean the phone was actually in the middle of town and they, they took covered wagons like out to the lake and yeah. that kind of thing a yeah. very small town with Dirt floor. It was amazing. These the the folks there were amazing to us, but also a very small community. So that's something I probably shouldn't try to go
10: do again. Yeah, and and for example, uh, yesterday Dave uh, had concerns because his daughter's in Mexico City. Mexico City is not that um, uh, dangerous. I mean, there's like thugs and all that, but in what big city doesn't have that? But in in the case of this happening, Mexico City is really low it's on the low scale so because these people uh live in those small towns not big cities
4: i appreciate you calming my heart a little bit there
3: goose (laughs) (laughs) would you say there's one thing we should all do if we're planning a trip to mexico that you would put at the top of your list gustavo since you go there so often
10: I, i i always check the news Check the U.S. website, and every time I go out to Mexico, always look for those cops in uh, uh, the the army, the Mexican army.
3: And stop at the Mm roadblocks. Do you stop at those? Yes. Absolutely. Don't drive through them. Great advice. Uh, The website he's referring to is the State Department's travel website. It's travel.state.gov. We'll compile all of this information and post it a little later on to kslnewsradio.com.
4: Yeah, again, this isn't to freak you out. Just be aware. Right. And that's part of it is being aware what areas are safe and what are dangerous.
3: Straight ahead. Boyd Matheson walking in studio. He's going to talk about Senator Mitt Romney's uh, involvement in a proposal that could ultimately end up in the banning of a popular social media app that your kids love.
2: It's called Dave and Dijanovic have inside sources.
3: Utah Senator Mitt Romney uh, joining other senators on a new proposal They could ultimately end in the banning of TikTok in the United States. This is, of course, the social media app that your kids love. um, And you must, too, because 100 million Americans are on that app. Here's Senator Mitt Romney.
6: There are a lot of us that are concerned about uh, privacy. And we say, gosh, we don't want the government to know everything we're doing. We want to protect our personal privacy. Well, one thing a lot worse than having our government Infringe on our privacy is having the Chinese Communist Party infringe on our privacy.
4: One of the questions I have in this conversation I have no doubt that this software is, is problematic, that it leaves us vulnerable. I have no, of course, of course that happens. We know that with TikTok. But there's also a hardware component. You've got software components, you've got hardware components. Where do you think our iPhones are being put together? in China. So we trust them to put the phones together and not install some sort of hardware when they're putting the phones together. But when it comes to software, no, that's the bridge too far. That's where we say, no, 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 we do not trust you. That doesn't make sense to me.
3: Boyd, you're going to have Senator Mitt Romney join your show today at 1.30. I'm very excited to hear uh, more about this because Heard a lot of sound bites, but I know you'll get in depth with him on why he thinks this is so important. What's your what's your what's your take right now before that conversation with him?
8: Well, I, I think as you look at the the group that came together, anytime you can get that many Democrats and Republicans in the United States Senate to come together. It's significant. Uh, and the fact that they're all united and coming together to say, hey, this is an issue. Uh, and going to your point, Dave, the the bill that they have put forward actually addresses hardware as well as software. Uh, so it's not just that software component that we see in TikTok, but it's also hardware components uh, and really puts a lot of onus on the secretary of commerce to really establish a set of uh, disciplines, processes, procedures to do the evaluation Uh, on that, on an ongoing basis. And so there's a a whole series of things that are part of this bill that they have put forward uh, that, again, really target, does this have an impact on national security? Uh, Does it have a a potential to disrupt critical infrastructure? That's one of the ones that I think I worry most about is the ability for uh, that tracking ability and that to, to disrupt, you know, the uh, the grid, uh, all of those kind of things, defense systems, and all of that, uh, anything integral to telecommunications. Uh, so it's a it's a pretty long list of things that they're asking the commerce secretary and the commerce department to take on uh, as part of this new legislation.
3: Last fall, the FBI director uh, Christopher Wray said um, he threw up the he threw up the flag in the warning, the red flag, and said this is a threat to national security. And I hear that so often, and so then my mind goes to my next question, like, what do you mean by that? And so I dove into that uh, this morning, and it and it looks like some of the allegations are that this TikTok, which is, if you didn't know, is owned by a a, a company in China, and the concern is that it could could be compelled to share information with the with the Communist Party. Um, and, and here's what I found out. It, it could you be used to control software on millions of devices and compromise those devices that have the app downloaded. So I go worst case scenario, like I'm known to do in every single scenario I think about and I think, well, what would the world be like if all of a sudden our cell phones went dark? I cannot leave the newsroom without grabbing my cell phone, even if it's just to run to the ladies' room or to run downstairs and yeah. grab a, a bag of potato chips. Could you imagine not having access, if we want to go worst-case scenario, a world, a United States without cell phone? Yeah, you think, you
8: think of all that getting uh, jammed up. And, and one of the important things to, to point out, and as you said, Debbie, this is a Chinese company, and we should remember there really aren't any private companies right. uh, in China. They're all controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. And I think that's part of what Senator Romney and his colleagues are raising is, look, let's not let's not pretend this is like Apple or, you know, Intel or, or some American business that does have some control over their destiny and what they want to do. Uh, this is China. So there really isn't a private company. Uh, they're all state-controlled, state-owned. And so uh, their ability to use that data, and again, whether that's to jam up systems, whether that's tracking key individuals, uh, whether that's looking at uh, targets that are either military uh, bases or, again, infrastructure grid uh, in terms of energy, all of those things uh, will could disrupt things in a, in a significant way.
4: Things have changed a little bit uh, with the supply chain, but Apple was producing, uh, I, I read, of their iPhones were coming through China. Uh, Tens of millions of computers, personal computers, are being put together in China and sent out around the world. These private companies have a very vested interest in making sure that those things that you're panicking about are not happening. Because they know uh, as soon as that comes out, as soon as something uh, is revealed or abused, their business is over. Right? The iPhone business is over if that worst-case scenario happens, Debbie. So I wonder how much of this needs to fall on Dave Noriega yeah. and his downloading of TikTok and how much the private market is going to take care of this because they understand they're over. Their, their business is over if this abuse happens,
8: yeah, and so that's that's always the interesting dilemma. Will will the private sector have that incentive enough uh, to to make sure those protections are in place? And what do they do if there is a breach? Because we know there is going to be a breach. There is going to be a breakthrough. There is going to be uh, a letdown. Uh, and we also have to look at it too. Going to your point, Dave, in terms of what's my responsibility in terms of what I'm digesting and and taking through through an app like that, uh, recognizing that that's part of what they want to do uh, is control the messaging. Uh, because that's the that's the real bit. So China is playing the long game, folks. Uh, this is not just about a TikTok and who can be hip and cool on social media. They are playing the long game. They believe that they are to be the superpower of the world. Uh, and they know the way to do that is control communication. Uh, and and influence what people are thinking and what people are digesting.
3: I wonder how popular this would be among the younger generation. And I'll point to this uh, statement that I heard that Senator Joe Manchin had reached out to his granddaughters Mm. who are of college age and said, what do you think about this? And in a nutshell, they said something to the effect of watch what you ban, grandpa. So I look at this from a purely political, reelectable point of view. If you are maybe maybe not clearly messaging why this ban is important or not relating your message to the people who really love to use apps, which is our kids, right? Yeah. All of our kids, they grew up on these things. Yeah. We didn't. We didn't have them when we were kids. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're a little more skittish about it than the younger generation. Uh, is this Is this just political... I don't know. I don't want to say the word – I don't like to use the word suicide. But, you know, is that is that – are they just dooming themselves
8: well, to there, there the younger voter? Yeah, there are political challenges to the younger voter. There's also constitutional challenges uh, when of it course, comes to controlling old, speech, right? right. yeah. <laughs> so uh, so I think those debates are going to be very interesting as well. So getting to the younger generation, yeah, this is kind of part of who they are. And so part of it is an education process. And actually one of the things that I commend in the, in the bill that's being put forward is uh, a very strategic – education process for citizens, individuals, the public, business community uh, to understand what the threats are and, and to point. start watching it. And so that education yeah. is a is a key piece. And then there's this whole other debate that we have to have uh, in terms of free speech. And where, where does that line begin well, that's, and
3: end? That's a lawsuit. Right, that'll end up in a lawsuit. Absolutely, I think. I mean, for sure, if it is ultimately banned,
4: sponsored by sixteen-year-old girls everywhere.
3: (laughs) Boyd, great conversation. I am so looking forward to hearing from Senator Mitt Romney. Tell us what time he's going to join.
8: Uh, I hope you're on at one thirty-five today. He's calling live from. He's calling from DC. Wow,
3: good, good get as always.
4: Thank you, Boyd. (laughs) All right, we appreciate it. Inside sources from one to three.
3: So, I want to pose my worst-case scenario to a tech expert. Like, is it possible that what i just laid out could actually happen where we all have tiktok downloaded on our cell phones and all of a sudden we see what could what what national security threats mean when the cell phone network just goes dark dave and dujanovic dave Con- and dujanovic. continuing our discussion about tiktok um, the call to potentially ban it, Senator Mitt Romney on board with other senators, uh, he's actually calling Boyd Matheson's show at 1.30 this afternoon. I'm excited to hear that conversation. Um, th- there's a lot of concerns that we've kind of rolled through, ticked through this morning. Uh, one is, you know, if, if the federal government does ultimately ban uh, American citizens from downloading TikTok, what kind of constitutional issues would that um, bring um, also, I wonder if they're out of touch with the younger generation who would vote all of them out of office if TikTok is banned. Um, but they've got to make it really clear, Dave, what the national security threat is that they speak of when they talk from the podium about this. And we're like, we should all be fearful.
4: How much of this is guilty until proven innocent? Mm. Like, I know that there are threats. I know that TikTok is scary. But... We seem to give a pass to China when it comes to assembling our iPhones. 95% of iPhones are built in China. We're fine with getting the latest and greatest iPhone built and handed over to us. We're excited about that. But as soon as we're talking about software, a really popular social media platform, okay, now we're panicking. What have they done? I understand there's a threat, but what have they done?
3: Earl Foote with Nexus IT uh, joins this show quite often, knows a lot there is about tech. Earl, I've known you for many years, and you've already so gracious with your time to kind of walk us through these more complex issues. And I I, I paint this picture with a a Chinese-owned company like TikTok and the concerns that lawmakers have about this national security threat. I guess my mind goes to if we've got this on our cell phones and they decide to, to infect it with something... Um, that's nefarious, I, I hate that word, but it's the only one that came to mind, um, does that potentially shut down, have the potential to shut down cell phone service, telephone service? Let's face it, that's a that's the only thing we own is cell phones these days. Few of us have hard lines into our homes anymore. Is that the kind of national security threat, or is that just a Debbie Downer, no way that's ever going to happen? <laughs>
14: Um, You, you know, th- there's always a, a possibility. I think that that's um, you know probably a, a longer shot. Um, Dev and Dave, thanks for having me on. You know, the, the the biggest concern here, as you mentioned, Dev, is is TikTok is owned by a Chinese company called ByteDance, um, and by by Chinese law, all Chinese companies have to give their data to the Chinese government when they are asked for that. Um, there is evidence well the prior to june 2022 all us user data from tiktok was routing through china um as part of you know their effort to um to separate you know from their chinese affiliation um, as of june 2022 user data uh for tiktok routes within the us however there is still evidence that that data exfiltrates, or at least some portion of that data exfiltrates to China. Now, where where is the threat? Um, the the threat is in that the privacy policy of TikTok is really flexible. Um, it allows them to gather a lot of data from the devices where TikTok is installed. Um, it also allows them to gather other data from other applications and um, Non-customary type of data from the device that um, that you know most applications wouldn't normally gather. Um, you know uh, hmm. that there there is unequivocal unequivocally there are cyber wars happening um, hmm. in the digital space uh, that most of us are not aware of, um, and um, there are countries who you know are gathering. Intel about each other, about their companies, about their uh, their constituents, you know, their citizens, uh, about their governments, and um, the, the the threat with TikTok is that it can gather a lot of different data that can go back and be used. Um, sometimes it could be used for competitive advantage purposes in you know in creating new technology, um, in understanding consumer. Uh, behavior and consumer sentiment, sometimes it could be used for more nefarious um, sort of activities. We know that, you know, Governor Cox a couple of months ago banned the use of TikTok on all state-owned devices because of that threat of lateral movement and the gathering of data that is not just specifically TikTok data.
4: I understand the, the TikTok fear, the software fear, Do you have any fears when it comes to hardware since the vast majority of iPhones are built in China? uh, Tens of millions of computers are are built and assembled in China that are ending up, you know, on the desks at home. Uh, It's a hardware component that we seem to, I guess, kind of be fine with because, you know, it's the new iPhone 14 X max with three cameras.
14: (laughs) Yeah. um, Of course there's always a threat there, Dave. However, the FCC, um, you know, has done a, a really good job of working with those technology companies um, to adequately vet and put um, regulation and inspection in place on the manufacturing of those types of devices. Um, and um, and so the the likelihood of threats existing on hardware devices is significantly less. The, the challenge here. Is that um, TikTok? while they have now routed, you know, routed their their U.S. based traffic within the U.S. Um, they've been somewhat uncooperative with the FCC in this matter of the exfiltration of data back to China. Um, they've kind of uh, skirted around a commitment to sever that practice, and instead are, are saying, you know, telling the U.S. government um, our our practices on data privacy will be adequate to appease. Um, you know privacy regulations. However, um, you know that that is um, it's less than what the SEC would like, and probably what the, the American public should want. Um, you know the SEC in the past, by the way, they, For example, if you take Huawei, who is a you know a, a major mobile device manufacturer worldwide, they were shut down and no longer allowed to you know sell devices within the U.S. because there was Evidence that data was being collected on those devices and being sent back to China um, and they wouldn't discontinue the practice. So um, the FCC completely shut down and Huawei can no longer be purchased within the U.S. There are other brands, including brands, you know, hardware brands or software brands like Yealink or Zoom, who have had similar problems in the past, but who have cooperated and have severed ties of data going back to you know, China.
3: Earl, we got about 60 seconds and I hope you can give us an answer. I want you to put your dad, your dad hat on. Earl Foote is with Nexus IT. He's a tech expert. Uh, do you let your kids, for example, use tech, TikTok? And uh, if you don't, like what is the best? We can't like say all this stuff to our kids. I mean, they their eyes would glaze over. It's so highbrow, you know. <laughs> how, how do you get through to them on this?
14: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, to clarify, my kids are all adults at this point, so those choices <laughs> those, those choices are, are theirs, is. right? But, right. but um, as, as a parent, I would be more concerned about predatory behavior on TikTok than about um, you know, the data privacy. Uh-huh. But still, you know, um, I I don't want my kids' data and all their you know their activity, their online activity and behavior to you know be in the hands of the wrong people or to be available on the dark web, you know, for purchase. So, um, you know, if I had if I still had minors in my home, I would certainly be having conversations with them about, um, you know, thinking about their own data privacy and the risks to them and their own safety um, that those risks present. But, yeah, it's it's, for me, it's less about, um, you know, what what might fall into the hands of the Chinese government. And it's more about predatory behavior that happens on TikTok.
4: Earl Foote. Thank you for joining us from Nexus IT, one of our tech experts that we turn to. Thanks.
3: Yeah, and definitely gave us more food for thought. While we were all running around in circles worried about China, he brought it down right to the kitchen table where we need to still be having those and remember to have those conversations with our kids about what they're putting on social media, who they're communicating with on social media, and who's commuting.
2: Dave and Dujanovic, special coverage of the top national story.
3: My goodness, I just looked up on CNN, and they're also reporting right now this, the same issue we're going to dive into. Uh, the headline there says, Two Americans Killed, Two Survived Kidnapping in Mexico. And they actually have a timeline. It looks like they entered Mexico about 9.20 on Friday morning and that they were attacked and abducted. An hour and a half later. An hour and a half later. Is that what that says? They were abducted and attacked. Yeah. So they were there 90 minutes. They were on their way to a doctor's appointment. One of them uh, had an appointment to get cosmetic surgery. And as we talked about yesterday, Dave, it's significantly cheaper for not only cosmetic surgery, but for other procedures as well. And a lot of Americans, as it turns out, drive across the border. ...for those types of procedures.
4: Yeah, and as they went in on Friday, uh, they'd been kidnapped. The family members hadn't heard from them. It seems by Sunday, they had already seen the video Mm -hmm. of their loved ones being kidnapped. Uh,
3: The U.S. government is now saying that the Mexican cartel mistakenly targeted uh, the four friends, which is good intel to have, right, for, for, I guess... FBI and Homeland Security to have that kind of info. But at the end of the day, uh, it doesn't bring those two back. Um, And I think there's some fears. I know among, look, I used to go to Mexico a lot because I lived on the border. Would I go now? Would I go now? That's a question I've been thinking about a lot. Uh, Planning summer vacations, for example. Is it worth taking a journey down to some of the touristy places, which are safer, and they're not on the State Department's level four watch list by any stretch of the imagination. This area was. But there's some travel warnings that are issued across most of Mexico, which, by the U.S., things like, you know, don't use ATMs after dark, make sure you stop at all the checkpoints. And we heard that from our own producer, Gustavo, who goes down to Mexico for weeks at a time, he said, make sure you stop at those checkpoints. The travel warning says you risk being killed if you don't.
4: On- joining us right now is Jorge Ventura from News Nation. Um, live from uh, Matamoros in Mexico, Jorge, thanks for joining us. Um, what have we learned? This has kind of come out piecemeal. What's the latest information?
15: So right now I'm actually outside of the uh, morgue where the uh, two deceased Americans' bodies still are and remain. So we are expecting that the bodies could be, as soon as today, transferred back to the United States. So we are waiting for that. And then right next to that building is actually the 24-year-old Mexican national male that was arrested when the Americans were rescued. Now, the tough thing here, what, what Mexican law enforcement is telling me, our sources is that um it's going to be really difficult for that male to cooperate they they don't expect them to cooperate which they really need to so that they can at least catch the rest of the individuals uh tied to the crime so we're here now waiting for those for those developments uh, but that manhunt right now continues for the rest of the individuals responsible for the crime but right now they do have a 24 year old male uh, that is the scene, and we're right outside that building right now. Well,
3: I'm reading, too, Jorge, where they were kind of hopping around from place to place with these Americans to avoid detection. I guess that only worked for so long until they were confronted. Do we know how Mexican authorities caught up to them?
15: So we're still waiting on, on, on more information. What our sources are telling us that the, uh, the suspect gunmen um, has mistaken the identity of these four Americans as Haitian smugglers, and that's what kind of started the altercation. Now, with, after that, they, they uh, put them in that white pickup truck and they drove them to East Matamoros to a place called uh, Playa, Baghdad, um, and they were discovered in this rural area. As you guys know, there's only two survivors. Um, but those two bodies that were deceased are here at this work now, we're hoping that today the day they, they transfer them back to the United States. Um, but right now, really, the, the main thing is that the manhunt continues Actually, as soon as you walk into Matamoros, you have Mexican State Police now at the Port of Entry. You still have the local police, and now you have the National Guard. So it's a heavy police presence here right now uh, in Matamoros as this manhood just continues right now uh, for those rest of the individuals who law enforcement suspects are connected to the Gulf Cartel.
4: Is there a sense uh, that, that we believe the Mexican Cartel saying that this was a mistaken identity situation? Because uh, it, it seems like there were a lot of days that in between where they could have righted it wrong, drop them off on a corner, uh, because uh, it would have been pretty evident pretty quickly that these were not Haitian smugglers.
15: Yeah, you know, we're still waiting for for more information. Anytime we have a situation with Americans, at Cartos, it, it's extremely rare... Um, Maybe the situation to compare it to is what happened to the Mormon family back in, in 2019. So we're still trying to find out what exactly happened. Uh, why would they take it to that location? Um, it also doesn't kind of make sense that they just had one man uh, guarding these group of Americans. That was the man that that, that was arrested. Uh, so we do know that the FBI is working with Mexican law enforcement to catch the rest of the individuals. Now, it's law enforcement... A source of telling the U.S. side that it's going to be extremely difficult to get that 24 year old to cooperate if he is connected with the cartel. I mean, it's most of the time these guys don't even talk to law enforcement at all. So that's that's the next step uh, here. But the governor here of, of Tamaulipas uh, is feeling that pressure also from the American officials that want something done, want this resolved as fast as they can. What actually shocked me today going into Matamoros, we actually ran into two Americans from Louisiana. Who were going to matamoros for a medical procedure and you know we asked them were you aware of of the recent violence uh, you know involving americans are you scared And they said they were aware they were worried but uh they had no choice that that you know they had they needed to save money so that i was a bit shocked to see you know this morning americans are still going to
3: matamoros jorge that that is amazing jorge ventura is with news nation he's on the phone live He's in the area where those uh, four Americans were kidnapped just a few days ago, two of them dead. He said he's standing right outside the morgue. Let's get more just for 60 seconds or so because we know you're super busy there, Jorge, and appreciate your time. But let's get into the dangers. I mean, uh, if two more Americans are going in from Louisiana, should Americans in your view be going across the border in that area at all or other areas that might be dangerous?
15: Um, and for my, for my opinion, absolutely not. You know, the majority of Mexican border towns are extremely dangerous because they're controlled by obviously these cartels, because they are a huge connection to the human smuggling routes. But Matamoros is one of the places where it is, it feels like the whole town is taking over. Even the Mexican locals let you know that we're basically being you know, watched all the time. Um, you know, even just driving to the more, we have to, we have to drive through side roads and everything just because. We don't know who's, who's watching this here. So you could really feel that danger here. Locals don't want to do interviews on cameras. Um, and it just feels like you're always being watched. This is a heavily controlled area. Even from my experience in the past of, of just covering the border, this is a major uh, human smuggling route, which is why this, this also situation is even more odd because they don't want to bring that national attention, and they obviously don't want to bring attention from Washington, D.C. right here, right now.
4: Jorge Ventura, thank you for joining us. News Nation's newest correspondent, Live from Montemoros.
3: Yeah, we appreciate uh him taking the time out of uh that wow and and stay safe down there. It just it just seems so you know concerning that what's going on in the violence it really I hope it has people rethinking if the if the money that they're saving is worth it. Um, because these two at least two Americans um paid with their
2: Eye on the Hill, twenty twenty three, special coverage with David Chenovic.
3: I'm gonna flag this. As the story that is never going to end, I, I just read this at com. Utah's new flag, we did, the legislature finally approved this thing. Uh, getting some opposition to the point where they want to, um, I guess they want to stop it from happening. There's a group of, <laughs> of folks who've gotten together who, who wants there to be some sort of a, a vote. Uh, we don't get this new flag. I think, that, I think that's the bottom line. That they want out of this.
4: Is it saveourflag.com.org.something? .something? I mean, come on. You lost. The the flag is over. The old seal on a bed sheet, mm-hmm. which is what the old one was. It was a terrible flag. Love the state. Hate the flag. Time for a new one. Why would you fight this? Why would you go to the time, effort, the, Cause the hassle?
3: Because not everybody wants one. Not everybody wants the new flag, um, but we know one person who definitely wants the new flag. He's probably draped in it right now. He's, he's sitting here waiting to join the conversation, Senator Dan McKay. There's an opposition. Uh, will this actually end up on the ballot if they can collect enough signatures to get it on the ballot?
0: Well, Debbie, it's so interesting that you mentioned that. I actually, uh, Highway Patrol has asked me not to drape myself in the flag when I'm <laughs> when I'm driving and so good uh, I had to take it off before i got in my car
3: but we know you're an attorney you can represent yourself in court if you are caught draped draped <laughs> in the flag so do you think this you do you think there's a chance uh that this thing could end up in front of utah voters
0: well there's i mean there's a chance i mean look this is one of those times and one of those debates where it's not really partisan it's you know the the divide of people who are in to you know to get a new flag and and those who are out it it really doesn't fall in their ideological you know uh, lines it it really is and dave i'm going to equivocate with you just a little bit okay i don't know that the i don't know that the existing flag is ugly or that none of those things in fact one of the things that's really uh, important for everyone to realize is this fight is not about the old flag. Because the old flag is still going to fly in the state of Utah. In fact, it's been elevated in status to be acknowledged as our historic flag. And it, it has specific dates that it, by a statute, that it has to fly on the Capitol. One of the things I love about the U.S. flag. Or about the U.S. Capitol is you know when Congress is in session because they have a flag over each chamber to tell you when each session of Congress is meeting. And I envision that the people can know when the legislature is in session or that we're meeting because the historic flag will be flying over the Capitol at the same time. And I, I just look at it and say, hey, is there the, – the, really, this fight is people that want a new flag, can they have a flag – and can the historic flag fly? So that you've got both flags, both can be honored, and both can really recognize the state. And for those that are new to this debate, look, we we basically took the beehive, made it 276 percent bigger, and put some mountains in the background and some red rocks uh, as well, just to give everybody an idea for you know here we are as Utahns and. This is this is what we represent. I I don't know. I guess some people just feel like that's threatening to the existing flag to have two flags. But I I don't see it that way. In fact, there are 18 states now, not including Utah, that have two flags, a ceremonial historic or governor's flag that they use to, you know, basically to keep their seal flag relevant and
4: have a new, modern, more present flag. Senator, I'm. I'm going to stand by my statement. It's a terrible flag. The old flag is a terrible flag. We shouldn't like, the nostalgia is overwhelming. I think a lot of people, until we started having this conversation, and I've lived here my entire life, I remember people were saying, describe the flag. I couldn't remember if it was an eagle or a seagull on our flag that I've been looking at my (laughs) entire life. If I couldn't tell the difference between an eagle and a seagull on the flag, that's a bad flag.
3: Okay, so sorry to s- step in between the d- the debater and the filibuster, but 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 let me ask a pertinent <laughs> question that I think is burning in a lot of taxpayers' minds. What is the cost, Senator, of replacing all of the flags across Utah and all of the logos or something like that with flags on them?
0: So, t- that's a great point. With confusion, uh to be funny a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, the state vehicles and where you see them everywhere, we're not replacing that state seal on all those vehicles. That just won't happen. Okay. And so then you start thinking, okay, well where else is you know, where else is buildings mm-hmm. and you see poles flying out those buildings and those flags. Believe it or not. Most of those flags last a month, maybe less, depending on oh. where they're located in relation to the winds from the canyon. So we will plan to replace flags with a new flag as the other ones where Indoor flags are not required to be replaced. They may be replaced at time. And, and we... 2011, mm-hmm. And believe it or not,
3: I think we're having some serious problems with your cell phone reception. Senator McKay, can you raise your hand towards the sky and then hold the phone a little closer to your ear and repeat? Is there any fiscal note at all regarding this flag that's getting these folks who maybe want to give give it to us on the ballot to vote for that would concern them in your view?
0: Well, yeah, you know, I sorry I didn't hear the first part of your question. Yeah, is Debbie, there what's but, the fiscal
3: note? Uh, just what's I the bottom understand. line price? What's the bottom line price for yeah. taxpayers?
0: Well, we identified it as far as what's required in the bill. There is zero dollars okay. required. We've already spent. We spent about three hundred dollars, three hundred thousand dollars in public outreach, polling, and that kind of stuff. Right. Okay. To you know encourage the public to participate, but the for the future costs will just be replaced as flags wear out. The funny thing is. The referendum is actually going to cost the taxpayers another approximately $200,000. So we'll take their concern about having spent money on this issue and now almost double the cost.
4: Spending money to fight spending money. If that just doesn't tell you all you need to know about government, (laughs) spend money to fight money. No, I get it. Senator Dan McKay, yeah, thanks, so thanks for much. joining us. And uh, I, I know you want to take a victory lap at some point about your new flag, but our new flag, my bad, <laughs> our new flag. Did, but
3: Did that temporary tattoo wash off yet of the flag off your arm? <laughs> it did. It did. What I
0: will say, though, is, hey, this is this was the only way really for the, the citizens or for really for us to put this question on the ballot the Utah constitution doesn't really allow binding questions on the ballot. And so this is really the only way. So if it gets to the ballot and people get involved, I will say this, Dave, and to your point, we have talked about the state flag more over the last four months than we have in the previous 150 or hundred and something years of statehood. And so I'm really grateful that we're at least having these conversations and that we're all just trying to figure out what we want. And if the public doesn't want it, then great, you know, onward and upward, and we'll, we'll keep fighting the big battles together as a state.
3: Senator McKay, thank you so much for, for weighing in on this. We said we flagged it as the issue that just will not go away.
4: This is not new Coke. This is not a worse version. This is a better version. You don't need to go back to Coke Classic, which was a good decision. This is a good new flag. Let's live with it. Stop fighting it. Lives communicating with
3: them. TikTok. Mexico. That's next. Think about that.
4: Living in your own mind.
5: Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America.